podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. Gavin Hamilton's Euro Road Trip. This episode, Group A, Wales. Hello, I'm Gavin Hamilton and welcome to my Euros Road Trip podcast. Today we're in Group A. We're travelling down the M4 to Cardiff to speak to Phil Blanche about Wales. Phil is the sports reporter for PA News Agency in Wales, better known as the Press Association or PA for short. Now, PA reporters are the backbone of football reporting in the UK. Their guys are stalwarts of press boxes up and down the country and Phil is no exception. Having previously worked for Media Wales, Phil has seen the Welsh national team in many different guises down the years. He was there when they narrowly missed out qualifying for the 94 World Cup. He was there when they lost the Euro 2004 playoff to Russia and he was there when they reached the semi-finals of Euro 2016 in such spectacular style five years ago in France. And it's important to have some perspective on the current team compared to previous teams and I think Phil can provide that perspective. Since I spoke to him it's been confirmed by the Football Association of Wales that Ryan Giggs has stepped aside as manager and that Robert Page, who was the under-21 manager, will be in charge of Wales at the Euros. Now, I don't want to get into the court case that Giggs is involved in, but there's no denying that this current Wales team is shaped by Giggs and he has made his mark on the team that he inherited from Chris Coleman by introducing many youngsters to the team and he's influenced them in many ways and I think one of the interesting factors and one of the unknown factors over the next few weeks and months is how much influence Giggs will continue to have over the team because in March during the World Cup qualifiers Robert Page made it pretty clear that he was still speaking to Giggs about squad selection and team matters and that's going to be an issue I think that's going to continue and rumble on for a few weeks and Phil is close to the story he's reported on Giggs the player He's reported on Giggs, the manager, and now he's reporting on Robert Page, the manager, as Wales prepare for the Euros. So grab a pint of Brains Bitter, stick your headphones in, as we prepare to find out all about Wales with Phil Blanche. Just when everyone should be getting excited about the Euros and Wales qualifying for a second successive tournament, Welsh football and the national team seem to be in a state of flux. Um, there's the situation with the Football Association of Wales where quite a few people have left, including Jonathan Ford, the chief executive. Then there's the Ryan Giggs situation. He's still on leave pending the court case that he's denied all charges with and he's uh, on bail now until May. What's the feeling because it, in Wales? Because it seems to be everything's in a state of flux. Yeah, you're right, Gavin. I mean, it's a very difficult situation. A lot's been going on behind the scenes, as you mentioned. But as Robert Page, <laughs> I mean, regards the matters on the field, Robert Page, who's taken over in Ryan Giggs' absence, has said, you know, it's business as usual. Robert Page took charge of the November games, a friendly against the United States, and which they drew. And uh, the Nations League wins against the Republic of Ireland and Finland, which secured their promotion to the top tier of the Nations League. So on the field, it's been going quite well. Of course, we've got more games now in March before the Euros. So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out. But uh, yeah, it's certainly difficult times off the field, but it's been going okay on the field. And uh, Robert Page has been in um, constant contact with Ryan Giggs regarding team matters. Yeah, I mean, we can't say too much about the court case, obviously, and the fact that Giggs denies the charges. But it, it does look like, from what from what you've been saying and, and you've been observing things closely, that, that Robert Page is in charge and he could well be in charge 
until the tournament, including the tournament. He's he's stepped up from the under twenty one job, but he seems to be in contact with gigs, and and gigs seems to be picking the squad, and and there seems to be feedback and uh, from after every training session. Is is that the case that gigs is is still sort of running the show, or is he you know even though he has uh, officially stepped aside? Yes, Robert Page, as you say, was Wales under twenty one manager. He joined the coaching staff, I think, in August 2019. And of course, they've got Albert Steivenberg there, who is, of course, very experienced, uh, an assistant of Mikael Arteta at Arsenal. Yes, they're in constant liaison with Ryan Giggs, we're told, even though the FAW have said that Ryan Giggs, in their statement, has no involvement in the squad, and he's certainly not on camp. Robert Page says that he's in constant daily contact with Ryan Giggs. So uh, that involves squad selection, tactics, you know, everything around you would expect an international camp. So very unusual situation. I don't think the players are in contact with Ryan Giggs. I mean, I think it all goes through Robert Page. Gareth Bale's been asked, you know, has he spoken to Ryan Giggs? And uh, of course, the captain, he said he hasn't, certainly before the March games. So uh, Robert Page has said that, you know, there's even uh, availability of training, you know, uh, footage, video clips that Ryan Giggs can look at, presumably on his laptop. But um, I suppose... During the game, I don't know how much contact there is during matches, but uh, certainly before and after games, Ryan Giggs seems to be heavily involved still. He had a pretty good qualifying campaign, didn't he? I mean, it was looking a little ropey at the start and they came through the group, a, a pretty tough group, really. When you think about four teams have qualified for the Euros from that group because Hungary and Slovakia came through the playoffs and Wales finishing seconds behind Croatia in that group was a was a pretty good achievement, wasn't it? And, and then the autumn games were pretty successful as well from in the Nations League topping mm. that group what was learned from the qualifying campaign in terms of new players coming in because there were some retirements weren't they Ashley Williams stepped aside and Giggs has to be credited with introducing quite a few new youngsters indeed you know when Ryan Giggs succeeded Chris Coleman of course you know hugely successful taking Wales to the semi-finals of Euro 2016 there were a lot of doubters obviously he was not really any managerial experience of course he'd been assistant manager to uh, Louis van Gaal at Manchester United for a couple of years and he had a short time in charge, interim charge himself there at Old Trafford. But of course, there's a lot of history with Ryan Giggs as a player. His attendance record, shall we say, <laughs> during his uh, you know celebrated Manchester United career. So uh, a lot of doubt from Wales fans who sort of question his commitment to Wales really as a player. But obviously one of his first uh, tasks was to get greater depth in that squad. And, uh, you know, that's something he's done to his immense credit, really. You know, he's introduced a lot of new players. And many of them had done very well at Wales. Uh, so, there's a, so there was more youthfulness. Obviously, after any major tournament, a squad is going to break up through natural factors, age, form, whatever. whatever. And, you know, Ryan Giggs, I think, has addressed that very well. Now, he had a few bumps along the road, obviously, with some results, but... As you say, in the Euro, uh, you know, particularly, uh, I think they lost games in the summer of 2019 to Croatia and Hungary, that double header that really set them back. But then, you know, they finished the, the group in superb fashion. They drew at home to Croatia, which was a good performance, and then uh, won their final two games in Azerbaijan and at home to Hungary, which secured the qualification for Euro 2020. And then, of course, they took that form then into the Nations League campaign, as you say, after the Euros were postponed for a year. Yeah. How do you think this team compares to the team that, that did so well at Euro 2016, reaching the, the semi-finals? What's changed? There are, there are more youngsters. Is there now less dependence on Gareth Bale and, and, and Aaron Ramsey, particularly Ramsey, because he's been injured so often? Yeah, we haven't seen a lot of Aaron Ramsey, to be honest, so uh, it's difficult to judge that one. 
Gareth Bale is obviously the captain, the leader. He's still a huge player for Wales. You know, he's, he is the player that makes the difference, even if he's, you know, not scoring. He's not scored for a little while, actually. He's still that player that, you know, you need two or three players to mark him. It leaves other players free. You know, he, he's, he's still hugely important in sort of assisting goals. You know, the 1-0 win against the Republic of Ireland in November. Brooks got the goal, but he was set up by Bale. So, you know, he's still a massive player for Wales. There's no doubt about that. As regards to sort of the change of the style, I mean, the team in Euro 2016 was built on solid defence, extremely hard to beat, extremely hard to score against. Ashley Williams, the captain, was at the centre of that. Everybody knew their job in the team. That solid base gave the platform for the likes of Bale and Ramsey really to uh, decide matches in Wales's favour. This side, even though they've had an excellent defensive record, actually, probably weren't quite as solid, certainly in the early Giggs days. They played with more sort of carefree abandon. And I think Giggs realised that probably wasn't going to be successful in the long run. So he, he did tighten up matters. But there's certainly a youthful freshness about the current team. When you look at the side, even at the back, you've got players like Joe Roden at Tottenham. He's coming to the team since the Euros. Chris Meppham at Bournemouth. And then throughout the team, you know, there's so many youngsters been given their debuts by gigs. It's hard to remember them all, actually, off the top of your head. But Joe Morell have come in, Matthew Smith. Now, these guys are not household names by any stretch of the imagination. But, uh, you know, they seem to uh, have taken to international football and flourished. And then, of course, you've got people like Ethan Ampadu, who's come in, you know, who's uh, a tremendous talent, you know, already played at Chelsea, played in the outdoor loan at Leipzig and uh, Sheffield United this season. And then further up the field, people like Daniel James, of course, have had the, has had his move to Manchester United and made his mark. And uh, many, many more players throughout the throughout the the squad. I could go on. David Brooks, Tyler Roberts in attacking positions, and I've probably missed a few off the top of my head, Gavin. But uh, you know, as I said earlier, Ryan Giggs has managed to increase the depth in that Wales squad and made them an exciting team in, in into the in the bargain. Yeah, yeah, lots of new names. What's your feeling about Gareth Bale at the moment? Because he seems to be coming into form just at the right time. He, it looked like the move back to Spurs had sort of backfired, that he wasn't getting games and, and Mourinho was keeping him on the bench. But it could actually work out really well in Wales's favour now, assuming he doesn't pick up any injuries between yeah. now, and the, now and the summer. He seems happier. Definitely. I think he's, he's, at a, he's at a club, obviously, he knows well, people that he knows well around him. So um, there's Welsh people there as well with Ben Davis and uh, Joe Roden, of course. But I think the thing for Gareth Bale was... And he, I think he said it himself, actually, that this season was vital for him to get first-team football ahead of the Euros. You know, the, you know, captain of Wales, he always turns up, to be fair to him. Mm. You know, he very rarely seems to be injured when um, international duty comes around. And in fact, he, in fact, he's even turned up when, you know, he's, he's, he's not been playing for Madrid in the past. So I think the important thing for him was to get fit this season. It's taken a while at Tottenham, obviously. You know, he, he didn't have a lot of game time earlier in the season, certainly not in the Premier League. but in the, uh, the last sort of six weeks or so, he has been playing start in the Premier League, been scoring goals. And as he said himself, he, he probably arrives on camp a lot fitter and fresher than he's been for a long time. So I think he's in a good place going into the Euros. Yeah. Unfortunately, you can't really say the same for, for Aaron Ramsey. Is that just a situation the Wales have to manage now? His fitness at, at Juventus is, is, is not been great and Juventus haven't been keen on him linking up with Wales. 
uh, even though yeah, he's been named in the squad when he, you know, they were saying he wasn't fit and he's ended up pulling out of the squad in March. Yeah. Is he just someone who can be, it has to be written off now and it's a bonus if he, if he comes good at the Euros? I don't think it's a case of being written off. You know, he's obviously a quality player and uh, Wales haven't got many players of that ability. So, you know, a fit Aaron Ramsey walks into the Wales team. Uh, he makes such a difference as we saw when Wales qualified for Euro 2020. You know, he scored both goals in the win against Hungary, even though he was coming back off injury then. So he can make a huge difference for Wales and hopefully he will in the future. His fitness has been a huge source of frustration and it's led to sort of many Wales fans question his commitment. I, I think... In the March, you know, he started three of Wales's last 20 games. So that, that sh- shows how little we've seen of him. But it's certainly not a case of him writing off. Obviously, he's got a long history of muscle injuries, which stopped him playing a lot of games for Arsenal in the past. It's hindered his Juventus career, and it's certainly um, hindered his Wales career. It's a huge source of fr- frustration, and, you know, it's, it's just something that Aaron Ramsey has to manage, Juventus ha- have to manage, and, uh, you know, hopefully that when international duty, certainly when the Euros come around, Aaron Ramsey will be there for Wales. I want to talk a little bit more about tactics. Mm. First, just take a, a quick break. Phil, Ryan Giggs has tried quite a few different formations since he's taken charge, but he seemed to have settled on a, a sort of 4-2-3-1 with Bale in that free role behind the main striker. But also in the autumn, there seemed to be a change and an experiment with a back three and Bale actually played as the central striker in a front three. What's your thinking about how they'll play in the summit? I mean, is it still a case of finding a way just to get the ball to Gareth Bale as, as quickly and as often as possible? Or is there going to be a set style, do you think, and a set formation? Yeah, I mean, funny enough, Wales' improvement under Ryan Giggs uh, after those defeats in the summer of 2019 came not so much with Gareth Bale, was, but with the introduction of Kiefer Moore, the Cardiff striker. Um, he was a Wigan at the time, but, um, you know... He, he offers them a lot because it allows Wales to go a little bit more direct. You know, he's, he's a huge guy, uh, you know, fantastic in the air. He can hold the ball up. He can bring others into play, but he's also a bit more than a target, man. He can actually run into channels. You know, he's got a good turn of speed. So it, it does give Wales options and it, it has sort of helped their forward play because it's taken a bit of pressure off Gareth Bale, who can play on the right or the left. You know, he can play on the right of a three if needs be and cut back into his favourite left foot and go for goal or, or he can play on the left as we've seen many times over the years and sort of go down the line get balls in you know Kiefer Moore obviously the, the target there that's been huge really in regards of how the rest of the team set up they're very flexible you know they, they played with a four at the back but I think in the last couple of games certainly against Finland in November they played a three-man defence with wing backs because you know they, they've got wing backs uh, such as Connor Roberts at Swansea who is a terrific athlete uh, as we've seen in Swansea's uh, promotion campaign in the championship this season huge energy gets up and down the wing fantastically and they've also got young Nico Williams there who's made a big contribution you know the Liverpool youngster so you know they're well suited on the right side to play in a wing back formation on the left Reese Norrington Davis Giggs gave him his debut in the autumn he's now on loan at Stoke he's done superbly well when he's coming in another youngster who hasn't looked out of place of course Ben Davis can play that position as well he can often drop into uh, the left side of a, of a back three. So uh, it gives them those options, you know, to, to play either four at the back or three or five at the back, if you want to call it that way, with the wing backs pushed on. Sure. And Hennessy, Wayne Hennessy's coming back from injury. He's racked up a hell of a lot of caps now as the first choice keeper, despite not playing regularly at Palace. That doesn't seem to be a problem for Wales. Who are the leaders at the back in the defence now that there's no Ashley Williams? Is You mentioned Joe Roden, who's, who's come on a lot this season you know, following the move to Spurs. 
Yeah. Well, obviously, Ben Davis would be would be a leader. You've got, obviously, Hennessy in goal, as you mentioned. And Joe Roden, for someone who's so young and someone who's not really played a huge amount of senior games, again, he's got good leadership experience. I, I've seen him play for Tottenham, uh, you know, and even though he's not had many games there since he's moved, you know, he always seems to be organising and, and putting people around, cajoling people. So he's got good leadership experience, even though he's, he's quite a young guy. Same can be said, actually, of Ethan Ampadu when I've seen him at Sheffield United, you know, someone who's bossing players around, for, for want of a better word, uh, for, again, for someone who's so young. And they've got Joe Allen, of course, back from, from a long-term injury, would have missed the Euros after uh, rupturing his Achilles tendon last March. But for, of course, the tournament being um, postponed for a year. But he's back now. Let's say a huge figure was actually in the Euro 2016 official team of the tournament. His performances were so uh, was so good. So he's coming back. So he he's still, he'll be a huge figure for Wales moving forward. Yeah. Course, as you say, Aaron Ramsey, of course, if, if he was there, and, and Gareth Bale. So not short of leaders. No, you mentioned Alan because he's you know he's had that long term injury. He came back into the squad for the March World Cup qualifiers. That seems to be pretty significant because that central midfield has done very well. These youngsters like Joe Morrell and Matt Smith have yeah. come in, but it's a very inexperienced midfield without someone like Joe Allen. That's right. I mean, Joe Allen will be a big figure. I mean, the Wales department pen around Wales when Joe Allen was injured last March. You know, incredible because. People realise that he is the guy that really makes them tick in that midfield. You know, he's so clever with his positional sense. He, he breaks up play. He gets Wales attacks moving, really. And uh, Ethan Ampadu, alongside him, will obviously benefit from his presence. So it's a massive advantage to have Joe Allen back in the team. And then further forward, you've got, obviously, Bale and Ramsey we talked about in those sort of attacking roles. But there's Dan James as well, who's come back into form at Man United, had a bit of a dip. And there was talk of him moving on from Man United. Yeah. David Brooks has had injury problems. Harry Wilson's back at you know is at Cardiff and getting game time there. Quite a few options though in in, in the attacking sort of midfield roles. Yeah, indeed, and, and this is what Giggs has done really well actually since taking over. They've got a lot more options in attacking positions. If the likes of Aaron Ramsey and Gareth Bale even are not there, obviously you're not going to replace Gareth Bale. But he's increased those options, as you say, Daniel James. It doesn't seem to be the flavour of the month amongst Manchester United supporters. I've got to admit, if you have a look on social media. You know, he's a big player for Wales, usual starter. You know, gives them that pace as well on the counter-attack, which is uh, so important when, when you're playing away, especially in some of these European uh, destinations. David Brooks, as you mentioned, has suffered a lot from injury, which has sort of held him back because, you know, another terrific player, suffered through Bournemouth getting relegated. You know, we're not seeing him in the Premier League and he's had more injuries again this season, which is disappointing. But as he showed with the winner against the Republic in, in October, he's still got a big part to play. Harry Wilson, you know, did really well in the autumn games when Ramsey was injured, sort of deputising for, for Aaron Ramsey. Probably man of the match in the win against Finland. So, you know, that was huge. And, and Tyler Roberts as well is getting uh, regular game time at Leeds. <laughs> not a prolific scorer, but... A clever player in many ways. Sees himself as a number nine rather than a number 10. He's playing at number 10 for Leeds at the moment behind Patrick Bamford. But he sees himself as a number nine. So he's certainly strong enough on the ball. Again, can bring others into play. So maybe he's an option there as well for backup for Kiefer Moore. And, you know, he, sh he should make the plane to the Euros as well. Yeah, so Kiefer Moore should, would be the first choice striker in that 
target role? Yeah, he's probably the starter at the moment, but you know, there are options. You mentioned Tyler Roberts and how Robson Carnu's come back into contention after after retirement. He'd be in the mix as well, would he? Yeah, yeah. Hal Robson Carnu is, is another option. Retired a couple of years ago after Ryan Giggs took charge, I believe, and what was off the scene for a couple of years, but made himself available again. Ryan Giggs spoke to him and was happy to bring him back. So yeah, obviously uh, a bit of a cult hero in Wales, really, given his, his Cruyff turn goal against Belgium in the Euro 2016 quarterfinal. So um, yeah, another option for Wales. And uh, as you say, we, you know, a small country, you need as many players as possible. And are there any players that you think could still make the squad? Any that could still squeeze in before the finals in June? Are there, are there any that were unlucky to miss out in, on the March squad? I don't know so much about the March squad. Robert Page named a rather large squad, actually, named a 31-man squad. So I think you'll see that Wales's Euro 2020 squad, 2021 squad, if you want to call it that, mm. I think it'll come, it'll come from those players. If I was going to select a bolter who might sort of be on the fringes but could make it, I'd possibly go Brennan Johnson, the youngster at uh, the Nottingham Forest, youngster who is doing so well on loan at Lincoln. Scoring goals, making assists, the, the son of the former Jamaica international, David Johnson. And I think he might just sneak in, possibly. OK, that's interesting. I, I wanted to talk a little bit more about the wider Welsh game. Let's just take another quick break. Phil, Wales have always produced great footballers. I mean, I was lucky enough a few years back to meet John Charles, admittedly late in his life when he, he wasn't well. Mm. But you could still really feel the presence of the guy amazing footballer you know a guy who won trophies in Italy as a centre yeah. forward and as a centre back a, a total footballer before the phrase had even been invented and you know they've been the likes of John Toshak and Ian Rush and, and Mark Hughes how does the, the current generation compare to those great names are people talking about this team in the in the, in the way that they saw the, the, the other great names of the past as you mentioned Wales has always had Fantastic individuals. We probably haven't had enough of them uh, to get to major tournaments. After all, you know, we're a very small country, a very proud sporting country. And as you say, you know, we were great players. John Charles, Ian Rush, Ryan Giggs, Mark Hughes, Neville Southall. And I've missed many more going going back further back. But yeah, I mean, I mean, you know, and Gareth Bale, of course, is, is right up there, you know, pr- probably with John Charles, the greatest Wales player of all time. As regards to the current team, with it being such a young side, I think they've got some way to go to match certainly the individual achievements of those guys. But we've qualified now for two major tournaments in four or five years. You know, we'd only qualified for 1958 World Cup. So, you know, you, you have to say this is a, a golden era in Welsh football. Obviously, the European Championships are slightly easier to qualify for now. When you think that uh, what, 2014 tournament, when, when you think that it's often referred to the 1976 team are referred to as the forgotten team because they actually qualified for an eight-team European champion. Yeah. The last four were actually in the finals. I think the quarterfinals were, were a knockout and we lost to Yugoslavia. That's history, unfortunately. But this is a golden period. I mean, the, the team that got to the 2016 Euros semifinals were always called the golden generation with the people of Bale, Ramsey uh, and others. But, you know, hopefully now that uh, we can go on and, and do ourselves proud in, in the Euros again. And yeah. that will help us, you know, qualify for for the World Cup in 2022. Because, you know, it would be amazing, wouldn't it, for, for Wales to, to qualify for a World Cup. As you say, we've only ever been in one in 1958. Well, we got to the quarterfinals, actually, with John Charles and, and company. So, uh, 
you know, hopefully we can do well in the Euros and then and kick on and qualify for the World Cup. And Wales has always been seen as a, a very proud rugby nation. And that, that's always been seen as the national sport, I guess. Is it now a case that football is catching up with rugby? Are you seeing more football shirts in town centres than rugby shirts? What's the what's the balance like now? Is is, is football up there with rugby? Yeah, well, I, I haven't been to a town centre for a while, Gavin. I've got to be honest <laughs> with COVID. But, I mean, it, it's an age-old debate in Wales, isn't it? Rugby versus football. What's the biggest? What's the national sport? You know, it, it, it can't be denied when Wales are doing well at rugby. You know, it, it does take a grip on the nation. You only have to see Cardiff on an international match day. You know, it's uh, filled with people. Uh, how much of that is to do with the social side and spending your time in the pubs as well as the time in the uh, the stadium? I'm not quite sure. But uh, as we've seen with Wales this year, you know, just missed out on a grand slam. You know, it's a huge talking point. There's an argument, of course, that the Wales is uh, the football is the national sport of Wales. More people play football, I believe, you know, certainly when tournaments are on, as we saw in the Euros, you know, 30,000 people in France watching the Wales national football team. Gareth Bale and the players, you know, calling it the red wall, you know, the fans getting praise, official praise from UEFA over their behaviour and their support. And, and of course, thousands back home watching it in open air TV screens, you know, the atmosphere was unbelievable. Yeah, it's, it's a good debate, Wales, uh, football against rugby in Wales. Gavin, not, not sure if I want to get into it. <laughs> what about what about the sort of the view of English football? Because most, <laughs> most of the, the Welsh football fans that I know, admittedly a fairly small sample, but all the Welsh football fans I know are either Man United fans or Liverpool fans. That's my generation, I guess. But is yeah. it still the case that people look to England and follow those, or are people following Cardiff and Swansea now more since they've been in the Premier League? Yeah, certainly. I mean, back in my early reporting days, I'd cover Cardiff-Swansea matches and there might just be a few thousand there. That's changed. Uh, and that's changed with the Wales football team, the national team, to be honest, because, you know, we, we've played in very in front of very low crowds in the past. And now you see the Cardiff Stadium, you can't get a ticket for games. Away games, you know, the Red Wall sells out. You've got to be on waiting list. You know, Wales fans travelling their numbers as well. Only on the club front, that, that's changed. Certainly when you talk about Cardiff and Swansea, who were, you know, obviously the two biggest clubs in Wales, who both played in the Premier League. Both have had new stadiums in the last 15 years or so which has created a, a safer and a more pleasant environment for supporters. And uh, there's definitely more interest and support around those clubs. Newport and Wrexham as well, obviously they've had their troubles, but, you know, they, they've got good solid support as well. But certainly as far as Cardiff and Swansea are concerned, you know, they, they've both got big support now. And uh, certainly when they're in the Premier League, you know, they'll fill out their stadiums, no problem. Where does the League of Wales fit into all this? It's this sort of separate entity, isn't it, with this pyramid system that feeds into the European club competitions with Wales supplying their own own clubs. Is the League of Wales just separate with very few players making the national team? Well, you've had people like Ben Cabango, actually, who, um, you know, as someone who's, uh, you know, benefited from his time in the League of Wales and his time at the New Saints. I think he did play in European competition for the New Saints. And, and obviously the New Saints have been the dominant force in the League of Wales or the Welsh Premiership. But certainly, you know, you'd, you'd like to see being used in, in, in that fashion, as, as well as sort of, you know, their own objectives in sort of winning titles and doing well in Europe, which has obviously proved difficult. But someone like Ben Cabango, who, you know, played at the New Saints, gone back to Swansea, got himself into the Swansea first team, part of a side that's pushing for the Premier League and has made his Wales debut in the last um, six months or so. It uh, certainly got a role as far as the Wales national football team is concerned, you would hope. Yeah. 
And you mentioned those the 30,000 fans in France. We don't know at the moment what the situation will be with yes. the Euros. UEFA are still insisting that fans should be allowed into stadiums uh, this summer. And they're talking about 25% or 50% stadium capacity. And yeah. Wales have, I mean, are still drawn, you know, due to play two games in Baku, aren't they, in Azerbaijan? Yeah. And, and Baku doesn't seem, doesn't seem to be, from what I understand, on the list of UEFA's venues that they're reconsidering. They're looking at Dublin and Glasgow as, and, and Bilbao as the ones that may may lose games. So yeah. are people preparing to travel to Baku in the numbers or are they waiting to, people waiting to see what happens? I think they're waiting to see what happens, aren't they? I mean, I, I think there was a refund process in, in situation, wasn't there, in regards to ticket in. And I think a lot of Wales fans might have cashed in on that. Others, I think, are just waiting to see what happens. I mean, we, we're living in times, aren't we, where... You probably don't know what's going to happen from one week to the next. So uh, we, we just have to wait and see, really, where, where Wales are going to be playing, if fans are allowed in and if fans are allowed to travel. I mean, if fans are allowed to travel, I'm sure you will see Wales fans at those games. But it's a case of uh, wait and see. Who knows? Perhaps Wales will end up playing some matches in England, but we just have to wait and see on that one, don't we? Yeah. Just finally, Phil, what's your prediction for the summer with Wales in a group? Playing in Baku, as I said, playing yeah. Switzerland and Turkey in Baku—that's that's, that's the, the case at the moment—and then Italy in Rome. So it's a, a mixed bag of a group. Really, could be seen as opportunities there, but also quite a tough group with that final game. What's a best case scenario, and what's a worst case scenario for you for Wales? The ambition will be to get out of the group first of all. I mean, they've got Switzerland. Uh, I think is the first game. There'll be a huge amount riding on that match. A difficult side, but you know, a team that Wales could do well against. And then they play Turkey next. And of course, that's in Baku. And you would imagine if fans are allowed in, that there'd be a lot of Azerbaijan fan support in Turkey with their uh, sort of close links between the two nations. So it might be difficult from that point of view. And then Italy's the last game in Rome if the tournament continues in its current format. So Italy's first two games are against Switzerland and Turkey. So, you know, a lot of people would imagine that um, Italy might win those games and who knows, might go easy on us in the last game. <laughs> but uh, seriously, I think Wales, their ambition would be to get out of the group and uh, in some formats, and you know, who knows, best third place could be enough, couldn't it? So maybe one win could be enough to get out of the group. And then once you're into the knockout, well, who knows what will happen. As we saw in 2016, Wales went on a run that... Enchanted the nation and surprise everybody, I suppose, to get to the semi-finals. It'd be obviously be difficult to do that again. There's no denying that. But uh, once you're in a knockout stage, anything can happen in football, can't it? Yeah, Phil. Thanks so much for your time. I know you're watching games, the likes of Cardiff and Swansea, in, in empty stadiums at the moment. Yeah. Hopefully, in a few months' time, we'll be watching games with fans back again. And uh, let's hope that that happens soon and, and that we can be part of it. Thanks so much for your time. No problem. Thanks, Gavin. Thanks for listening to this podcast. If you liked it and you want to find out more, there's a new podcast with a different journalist from every single country competing in this summer's European Championship. You can find them all wherever you listen to your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe and follow this show so you know whenever I release a new episode. And you can find out more great sports podcasts on the Sports Social Podcast Network. Just head to sport-social.co.uk. Gavin Hamilton's Euro Road Trip. Follow and subscribe now so you never miss an episode. This podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network.
Sports Social Podcast Network.